feature presentation. So welcome back to Road Trip Cinema. At the moment, we're sitting in the car, waiting to go into the movie, and we wanted to return to the idea of giving our thoughts going into the film first. You can't really do that with the whale, because, I mean, that was just like a one-off drama. We were expecting good acting. Yeah, (laughs) there's not much to say about it. But now we're back with a a Marvel movie, and that has this whole 30-plus film continuity to it. So we kind of have expectations where it's not like, I know we struggled a bit with Black Panther, what to expect, because that was a little shred more mystery of, of like, what's going to happen now that we lost Chadwick Boseman. We're going to go see the new Ant-Man, which it's an Ant-Man movie, so whatever. I've actually come around <laughs> on the character on the rewatch. I've gone the opposite way, I, I, which I hadn't had rewatched. I may have been more interested. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, like I remember having the exact same opinion that the original was better and blah, 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 and thinking they were you know, middling at best, and then rewatching them, I actually found that I enjoyed them. And now I find it middling at best and, <laughs> and a horrible piece of dog shit at worst. Part two. Uh, so what what do we expect from Quantumania? Uh, I'm, I'm expecting a majority of the film to take place in the quantum realm. Uh, I would fucking hope, but who you fucking You fucking asked the question. I know, I know. Um, I, I'm expecting a lot of action, and I'm expecting greater stakes with this one than we've seen with Ant-Man in the past. And I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out. I'm also, uh, I'm not going to put any spoilers out there because I don't know, but I have an inkling of an idea that it's going to end on a sad note. I feel like it's got to. I don't know if Scott Lang will be back. I have a feeling Hank Pym won't make it through the movie, especially because lately he's, for some reason, the last few days he's been saying, like, yeah, I'm sure I'm down for an Ant-Man 4 if I can die. Yeah. Like, like okay, let's, let's dial it back, Michael Douglas. Let's chill. Uh, I'm stuck in this contract and hate doing these movies. Yeah, that seems to be a recurring <laughs> thing. Everybody's down until they realize doing a superhero movie sucks sometimes. <laughs> especially with Peyton Reed. Uh I'm excited for Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. I loved him as He Who Remains in the Loki series. Uh, I've only heard amazing things. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, because we heard amazing things about Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher and Thor Love and Thunder, and look how that came out. Wasted. Extremely. And they're almost saying the exact same thing one for one that they did before Thor, which is he's testing as the greatest villain we've ever had. He's testing great. It's like, why are we testing villains? What yeah, the fuck that does that mean? If you're promoting that, that it's a huge red flag for me. Well, I that's so niche. Like, you, you shouldn't brag about the smallest of things when you made the Avengers films that we've had so far. I think this is just more them trying to get a grasp on their their universe and and what directions to go. It's absolutely floundering at the moment. That's the best way I could say it. Doesn't mean it's bad. I think there's a lot of misses, though. I think Black Widow fucking missed. That shouldn't have even been part of the post Endgame series. Uh, I can't argue that a whole lot. Eternals, huge miss. Oh, that is one of like two that I would not recommend. Thor: Love and Thunder, huge miss. The other one I would not recommend. (laughs) This over cramming of Disney Plus series, which have been getting progressively worse as each one goes. I've only seen Wanda. Let's see, there was WandaVision, and then there was Captain America and the Winter Soldier, and then there was Loki, and then, fuck, what else was there? What if uh, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Moon Knight? Like, it's oversaturation. It's too much. Yeah, I, I haven't seen them. Now that Bob Iger's back and Marvel's taking time to kind of reassess, they're taking a much more relaxed spatial approach where the only series even confirmed to come out this year for sure are Loki Season 2 and Secret Invasion. They're being a lot think, more, let's I think make Secret Invasion first. is really interesting, because that seems like that has to lead into something much more. Well, that's what I think is what makes, like, WandaVision and Loki such big series, is it's connected to the greater universe no matter what. They can say it. you don't need to see them, but you kind of do. 
Right. Like, WandaVision, like, if you went to Doctor Strange without having seen WandaVision, Wanda's just suddenly evil for some reason. Like, it doesn't quite make sense. You don't have the backstory to understand that. Yeah, no, I get that. I uh, agree. This, I mean, Loki introduced He Who Remains, Kang the Conqueror, same actor in everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge connection there. I don't know what they're going to do going forward. Secret Invasion is supposed to be this huge storyline with the scrolls, they introduced in Captain Marvel. It has to connect stronger. Let, let me ask, are we going to be getting dual, like, major events going on where we're going to have Secret Invasion, and but we're also going to have, uh, I forget Kang's story. The Conqueror. Uh, it's just time multiverse war kind of thing. Well, Secret I, Wars. Is that the Secret Wars? Is that what it was? Uh, in, in Secret Wars comic line, it's typically... Kang selects heroes and makes them fight on the battle world, I think is what it was called. And that's the Secret Wars, is like all the different Marvel continuities okay. come together well, to no. fight for Kang or whatever. It's weird. I don't remember exactly how it goes. I, I just think that was introduced to Spider Man symbiote that... suit, too, which could be big news for later. But I, I feel like we've gotten a little off topic coming back to Quantumania. I think this movie's going to open the Marvel Universe way open to this whole new Quantum Realm. I don't even want to say Quantum Realm, to essentially different levels of Avengers-type films. Like, your Secret Invasion is, like, your Earth-level stuff from, like, Daredevil, oh. fucking uh, Spider-Man. All of your more, your Captain Americas, your your ground-level heroes. And then you'll have, probably not the Guardians anymore, but you'll, your space heroes. Then you'll have your multiverse heroes and your, your magic heroes. And, like, we've broke open into, like, almost a true Marvel universe now, rather than, like... We're telling one smaller story as it goes that happens to weave a little bit and right. then meet with Thanos. Thanos is gone, and the whole world just kind of exploded. Out. Yeah, I agree, and, and that's what I'm kind of sitting here wondering. I wonder if, like, they said this is a stepping stone, and like I, I said on the previous episode, I think it's going to be really interesting that he's going to be more interwoven. But I'm really curious to see how that's going to progress. Because we also know that Secret Invasion starting, and I love the idea that we can have two crisis-level events like this going Just on. That are totally unconnected, almost. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, we have that's awesome storytelling. All of these events going on, and they're all Avengers events. My worry is it'll be too much at once, because how many are we going to have? It's going to become more of a, almost like a soap, where... Like, well, I've missed three episodes and now four people are dead and I don't know what's going on. Really. <laughs> like, it's becoming too much and it needs to dial back a little bit. Uh, as far as what to expect from this movie, I'm not expecting a lot. Even, I said it before in the other podcast, but I think it might, this might come out first just for the hype. Uh, uh, yeah, I, okay, fair enough. I, I understand continuity-wise between <laughs> our own podcast, but... I want more listens, so this will come first. I get it, I get it. Uh, I have been saying for a while that I'm worried that this one will be bad. And it's a mix of Peyton Reed being at the helm of a larger universe movie, the trailer where it's a fun style, don't get me wrong, but it's very much a CGI mess that I'm not, I'm like, ugh, about. Dude, um, you're a Star Wars fan. I, I know, and uh, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm not enjoying it in the last couple years. I can say that comfortably. Uh I don't expect a lot. That was before the Rotten Tomatoes score came out. It's not doing great there. But you know what? That doesn't mean anything necessarily. Like, we both love The Whale. That one's kind of low for, like, how much critics have raved. It's like in the 70s or something, I think. I have so, no idea. that means nothing necessarily. Um, yeah, I honestly forget about Rotten Tomatoes until you bring it up to me. Because I never look at it. I put no credence to it. Like, I honestly forget it's a thing until you say something about it. Well, everybody likes to say, like, that's one score. It's not. It's literally an aggregator site where it collects all the scores and makes data compiled. So, it's essentially, it's a statistic. So, 55% rotten means about half the people like this movie to some degree. And And, and about half disliked it. So, I could land on the half that likes it. But I feel like it's going to have a lot of issues that I won't consider it like an amazing piece of art. It's, it's all a statistic on how many people liked it, not how good the movie is. So to say it's got a 55%, that's not really a score. That's an amount of people. 
Right. And I, th- I think I a lot of people forget about that. Yeah. I, I want to say here, because I feel like a lot of people don't understand that. And that becomes an issue, because then people will say, oh, that's not... Dude, I thought the move was much better than the score. It's not a score, though. That's that's the issue. But uh, do you have any final thoughts on it? Because we're getting close. Yeah. Uh, I... I'm really excited for it, and I'm honestly expecting this to be the best Ant-Man film. Not a tough bar to clear, so... Alright, we'll be right back. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Here, here, here. Let me set the mood. So... I guess that's a good lead-in to the fact that we're re-recording this, because... The mics didn't sync up properly, so we ended up recording in a cup holder through a phone microphone, and the cup holder had a bunch of change in it. Yeah, sounded so, like shit. So. A lot of rattling and, and deep car sounds. Yeah, so we decided to do everyone the benefit of uh, redoing this. Mm. <laughs> okay, so pretending that you're just leaving the theater again, what are your initial thoughts? Uh... Well, I guess we I, don't really have to. We've sat on this movie for a few days now. Right. Well, Our thoughts are going to be different. Not necessarily. I think my thoughts are still the same. And I stick by what I said in last time, that it's the best Ant-Man film. I will stick by my thoughts and say it's a, a hard to disagree with you. Uh, it's not terrible by any means, but it's not anything to me. Like, it's just, it's better than the second Ant-Man, but not as good as the first still. Still holds that place. All right. Um, well, let's let's kind of run through non-spoiler real quick, and then. Uh, I know I had led with the topic of Peyton Reed not knowing how to shoot action because every time there was any kind of hand-to-hand action, it was quick, cutty, messy, like taking three, fucking Liam Neeson jumping a fence nonsense. Did you see that clip I sent? Yeah, yeah. That's fucking horrible. I, I don't necessarily. Agree or disagree. Um, yeah, that that is a thing in this film. But I think that's kind of a thing with Marvel where I, it, I've noticed it before. Like in the casino scene with uh, Black Panther, I remember pointing that out that I, you can't really follow it because it's like cut, 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 cut. And it's like... It's, it's disappointing because that's... This is the same studio that made Winter Soldier that has like one of the best hand-to-hand oh scenes. God. The knife fight in the street between... Cap of the Winter Soldier. Just Which fantastic. makes me wonder if they just don't schedule enough time for second unit or, or what exactly the issue is. But I think it's an overarching issue, not necessarily just the director. I know there's been a common complaint in the last several years that Marvel movies are more formulaic than ever in the fact that they tend to go past storyboarding before they even have directors and creatives in. They have previs already done for some films. Uh... I mean, you couldn't do that for a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy, where James Gunn writes and directs, but more of your your Ant-Mans, uh, your Black Panthers, honestly. like They have story beats they know they have to hit, and they want to hit, so they already go in and start VFX before they even have a story actually ironed out. And not to say that they're cemented in that story, but I think it was designed to save time, but I think it's cutting corners, and it shows with... Especially the hand-hand action, but a lot of elements. Well, I, I, I a agree with that, hmm. and I'm gonna get to that here in just a moment. Okay. But, uh, I think that kind of affects creativity. I mean, unless you have somebody with a lot of clout, hmm. I, I don't think uh, the director can really fight that a whole lot. Unless it's somebody like Sam Raimi, who's just like, yeah, no, we're going to do this. Well, I mean, that's essentially the make or break for, uh, I would say, a seasoned director. Like, we talked about Edgar Wright and how he said, no thanks, and just up and walked away from Ant-Man. And that's a project he'd spent the better part of a decade working on. Just about, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I understand why he left, it's sad he left, but... If the studio is going to continue with this kind of things, I could see it being an issue in the future. It, possibly. I mean, yeah. I would say that's kind of one of the biggest issues of this entire last phase. Like, everything post-Endgame has felt very 
story beat first and then creative second. What would you say? Like, as much as I love No Way Home and it is the shining star of this last phase. Oh, 100% agree. That's very much studio. Like, there's no John Watts style to it. At least Far From Home and Homecoming had a little more creativity in them. This one was so, like, stuffed to the brim with heavy, like, oh, that's fucking awesome. Like, all these moments. It wasn't very much a creative choice rather than uh, this will sell tickets choice. Yeah, no, I I, agree. I love it, but it's it's not going to be one hundred percent all the time. Yeah, um, and with that, I I makes me want to come back to the formula thing that I wholeheartedly agree. And to me, Ant Man and the Wasp and Quantum Mania, whatever the fuck they're calling it, because I can't remember. It's too long. Just yeah, that's why I've been every time I describe, it, I just say Quantum Mania at this point. I'm not typing. Fucking lightning and snow. All right. Yeah, hill life. You should know. Shit, you live on the other hill. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think this one and uh, Black Panther Two: Wakanda Forever share a very similar similar formula. Um, and in the spoiler section, I'll definitely get into that. But uh, to me, there's definitely a formula there. But what this one has cemented to me, and I know in the past we've talked about how Marvel has explored other genres. This one has really, really cemented that not only do they try and explore other genres, I think they also try and explore who the films are geared towards. Okay. Because this, to me, as I said with Ant-Man and the Wasp, is geared towards a younger audience. It's geared towards like the 12-year-olds. That's fair. I wouldn't say Black Panther or Wakanda Forever was no. the same audience. Not to say it's like an adult movie by any means, but it has a lot more adult subject matter with right. grief, mourning, and loss. Like yeah, that's... a kid's not going to fully get the impact of all the, the grief and political drama, I guess you'd fair. say, throughout yeah. it. Whereas with this one, the kids are going to be able to follow the story beat. Uh, I just want to ask real quick. Now that it's been a while, would you say Wakanda Forever is a a repeat viewing? Like, you could just throw that on whenever? Or... Oh. Because I watched it again about a week later after we had seen it and reviewed it. And I don't think I'll watch it again. I love it, but it's not one I could just throw on. No, that's, that's why I kind of sighed thinking about it. It's like, it is not one to just toss on because... That's like a movie. Heavy. movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's... It's one that if, A, I'm in the right mood, or, B, I need to kind of follow the story beats closely, I'm going to go mm-hmm. back to. But past that, it's so heavy that, no, it's not one I'm going to put on very often. Okay. Uh, do you have any other non-spoiler topics you want to discuss about this movie going? Well, let's let's be real quick about it. Um, I don't think either one of us was really blown away by the 3D, because it was no. advertised to see it in 3D, we chose to see it in 3D. Mm-hmm. I added nothing. Uh, no, um, not really. I think it kind of gave both of us a headache because... I had the brief complaint of, and I mentioned this before, but obviously that didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> the VFX, while it ended up looking clean, it wasn't a mess as much. It was... There's an issue between clarity and focus where your entire background was too clear and obviously in focus that... It made this issue of too much going on at once. Like it right. just, and I think that's where that headache more comes from. Is like just too much for your eyes to try to focus on. And yeah, your eyes are drawn everywhere. Um, now I'm a fan of 3D. I actually enjoy it a hell of a lot, and I can honestly say there's no reason to see this film in 3D. Yeah, see, I'm the exact opposite. I would not prefer 3D if I could avoid it. The only movies I tend to really like in 3D are either. Animated movies, because that's an easy transition. Or more movies that, I guess, blend with it, right? Like, it's designed for 3D. Like, as much as you don't like it, Avatar is... Like, that whole thing is, like, the 3D is a special draw. Yeah, no, I... And I thought it did great. I'll agree there. I mean, it's it's perfectly suited for that. Hmm. Um... Uh... The one I always go to and suggest people watch is actually Gravity. And 
incredible film in 3D. For the visuals, or? Uh, I'm just saying experiencing it in 3D okay. is incredible. I remember that got nominated for a bunch of awards, so I went and rented it. Me and my dad and my brother went and rented it, and we were so bored for two and a half hours. Maybe that would have been amazing in 3D, but it uh, was. we got to it way too late, so we saw it just on his tiny TV at home. and <laughs> just did, Didn't hit the same. No, it tells us it was just a story movie, and it was a fucking boring one. Yeah, to, to me, uh, I heard how great the 3D was, rushed out and saw it in 3D in theaters, <laughs> and it is the only 3D film that immersed me so much I was actually jumping. And I felt like a fucking idiot, but it got <laughs> okay. me. Um... But yeah, there's no reason to see that. Uh, uh, before we get to spoilers or recommendations and then spoilers, um, let's touch upon the acting. Because uh, that's non-spoiler. Uh, Paul Rudd still carries these movies. Yeah. He's easily the best part. But a very, a very close second was Jonathan Majors as Kang. I, I actually enjoyed his performance more, but really? I think that's just because he's such an interesting villain with his choices and whatnot he doesn't come off as like your typical mustache twirling villain it's Mm -hmm. really interesting how he played it menacing creepy i can always i'm not sympathize but i'm always more drawn to a villain who truly believes they're doing uh not necessarily a good thing or right thing but they're doing what they can in the greater good, which is why Thanos is such an interesting character. Uh, Kang believes what he's doing is for the greater good, and he's not letting anything stop him. Right. I thought Jonathan Majors always had this air of charisma first, but that purposely fell away pretty quickly when it needed to. Uh, I just, I, I think, I still think Paul Rudd is just slightly better. He's just, he's just, more entertaining, but God, that that scene where he calls um, I forget the character's name, uh, Jelly Bean. Okay, his daughter. Yeah, it was just no. Oh um, no, uh, Hope. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the wasp. Yeah, that was fucking creepy. Well, it's it's almost like this. He knows intimate details about her, so it's like. Oh shit! Like she's never met him, and he could destroy her without thinking about right, it. Right, but it was it was the way he delivered the line. It wasn't like your typical villain where it was like sneering no, or anything. It was like intimate threat. It was yeah, weird. Yeah, I loved it. That's why it stood out to me. I loved it so much. I, and I think it stood out so much because it was interesting. Whereas I've seen Paul Rudd before, so I've seen the right. Ant-Man it's before. not a whole lot new, no. Right. A still great performance from Paul Rudd. I mean, he's mm-hmm. captivating. I enjoyed the hell out of him. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, everyone's claiming her performance was great. I, I felt like so. she phoned that in so fucking hard. I mean, maybe that's great for her. I, I don't remember her career a whole lot. But. The only other thing I can think of that I've even seen in the last several years that she was in was Batman Returns. And Oof. that yeah. I went and rewatched those movies, and they don't hold up well. They are not good movies. I mean, it's a good... Catwoman performance, but I... I mean, what's it got to match up against? There's like three others, and <laughs> one was terrible, one was okay, and one was great. <laughs> so, um, It's not like she had a lot to live up to. Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I didn't think her performance was great. Um, I Mike, thought she was on par with Michael Douglas, who... I thought he was kind of not quite as phoning it in as he had before, but I thought he was just kind of like... He almost seemed like he was high the whole time. Like, he's just kind of... He having seemed, fun doing it, but yeah, he's he not actually, really doing much. He seemed better than he was in the other two films. Maybe it's just because he's less of an asshole and you can actually kind of tolerate him more. But. Right. <laughs> uh, the new guy. Uh, Catherine Newton as Cassie. Cassie, yeah. I thought she was just a little over the top. Uh, she didn't have the same emotional draw that Emma Furman, I actually looked up her name, Emma Furman, the actress from Endgame, had, and she had, what, three lines, maybe? Like, and well, they had that connection, because she'd played that character since she was very young. No, that so. wasn't the same actress. They had to get a new actress, because Ant-Man and the really? Wasp came out after Infinity War, and just two movies before Endgame. Oh, shit. Like, yeah, no, you're right. The, the little girl is like, it's been four years since that, so now she's older, but she was... Still, little girl one. Oh, fair Emma took over. So that that character's had three actors now, wow. between the little girl Emma Furman yeah. and Catherine Newton. 
I, I, I like Emma Furman more. I, I would. It's another case of I would love to see what that would have looked like, but I never will. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know why you recast it then. Bigger name for some reason, like yes, Catherine Newton is more of the up and coming star that already has some notoriety. She's done. I don't know. The only thing I know her from is Freaky. I don't know. She's done other stuff that I just am not. I, I want to say, uh, it's just not coming to me, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I thought she was all right. Yeah. I, I don't know how the performance would have been with the other actress. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting because she seems to bring different choices, obviously more emotional choices. But then again, I don't feel this role was written for that because to me, that character was the surrogate for the audience is geared towards the 12 year olds and whatnot so but at the same time i know i i also have an issue with the character in that she went from just scott lang's daughter to this over-the-top scientist now like it just it's it's movie writing it just gets weird sometimes and comic book because that's comic accurate i guess yeah so but but i didn't feel that that growth though she just suddenly like yeah smarter than scott well, another thing towards that, um, the whole family dynamic, I thought was very sudden and weird. It got really okay. Should we go into spoilers now? Yeah. Then? Well, let's let's hit our recommendations before we get there. Would you recommend seeing this film? If you're a diehard Marvel fan, then yeah, just to avoid your spoilers or whatever. If uh, you see like one of these a year, nah, I'd say probably hold out for Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> That'll probably be the hit. Um, for myself, uh, I, while I enjoyed it, I admit this film is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you are a Marvel fan, obviously you're going to see it no matter what we say. Um, sorry, losing my voice there. Uh, if you're a parent or younger, this movie's geared towards your family dynamic and will entertain everyone. But if this isn't your thing, this is not going to be the one to win you over. So that's that's my kind of limited recommendation. So take that for what you will. <laughs> so you, yours leans a little more, yeah, go see it. Mine yeah. leans more, eh, you could probably skip it. Yeah, exactly. That's, gotcha. that's a good way of summarizing it. <laughs> but let's get to the uh, spoiler warning, spoiler warning, spoiler warning. Try not to be too loud. Although... Like over there, down a the floor. Well, uh, <laughs> the family dynamic we were talking about. I, I thought it was really weird that Cassie suddenly calling, uh, Michael Douglas, Hank, Hank Pym, Pym, and Janet Pym, grandma and grandpa. Yeah, like, weird. It's bizarre. Just like, is Hope mom then too? Like, it's. Like, uh, do they have that relationship? I don't how understand. How much time has passed from? Endgame to now, I, it's unclear. Their whole timeline is very messy. It, I, long I, enough that Scott Lang wrote a book and is like... And recorded an audiobook version. Yeah. And I think he, and there's podcasts and other movies that Scott so. Lang does. It's really weird. So it, a year or two, I would guess. But it's like, got to be right in that range. But so Possibly the, even longer. It's I, just, no more than three, I'm guessing. Oh, can't be. So I guess there is enough time. They just don't do a good job of explaining. Yeah, when how is that what. dynamic has suddenly changed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. She always calls Hope Hope, but for some reason, Hope's parents are Grandma and Grandpa. Yeah, it's, it's just bizarre. It's like now, she could have think... called them Hank and Janet, and that would have been fine. Nobody would have batted an eye. Right. I don't know. Every, the first time she said Grandpa, I was like, "Who the fuck said that?" <laughs> Yeah, it felt but, weird. It now, felt wrong. I have to ask: Do you think that's because they didn't bring back her stepdad and mother? You know, I, I've been thinking of it longer. It bothered me they didn't bring bring back Judy Greer, Bobby Carnival, Michael Pena, David Dashlemain. There's T. not I. really a point they could have played just, in this, though. I don't know. It felt weird that none of those characters came back. There's even that montage in the beginning of like, oh yeah. Uh, Jan or not Jan? Hope has the company now. She's in charge. I wrote a book. I did this. Cassie grew up. Those two are happy together. Like extra thirty seconds just for yeah. hey, the ex-con's going great. Hey, I, I'll give you that. Even if it was just dialogue 
in that monologue. Yeah, yeah just that should have so been. we know something. It feels yeah. like those characters are all pretty important in the first two. And just drop now. Yeah, like, I don't know, I, I feel like when we talked about the first two, we definitely mentioned Michael Pena as a huge point. Like, yeah. he's, I don't, I don't, he's not like a major character, but he definitely has a presence. Their whole group has oh, a yeah. presence in he those He could films. have definitely played even a comedic role in this, where mm-hmm. he was at the house and, oh, let me go get this, leaves the basement, they all get sucked down, and then you could have the comedic beat if he walks down there, sees it trash and drops a plate or something. It would be the same as uh, the the end of the first one, when he the the crew comes to come help Scott fight Yellow Jack at the house, and they see all the cops like, hey, we're just going to back, back it up, up back, back it up, look this, back <laughs> it up. Uh, I, I guess I said David Dastroman isn't in it, but he is. He just plays a new character. He, yeah. What's his name, like Verb or something? The Jelly Man. Yeah. Uh, I I knew the name was familiar, so I was like, okay, shit, he's in it again. But then I couldn't find him, and I guess the voices had to be people. I didn't see many right. recognizable names in the voices, so. But I, he's in it technically, so yeah. there's that. He's the comic relief. It would have been funny had Michael Pena voiced a character and not really changed the character. Like just, did nothing, just pretty much the same. Yeah, just different character. Yeah, it would even been funny if they had a similar characteristic. You know, Ant-Man could have made a... You seem really familiar. It's just something. It feels yeah. weird they're not in it. It really does. It, uh, it feels like that bit is missing. Uh, we got... But moving on. <laughs> we got new side characters with the the natives of the Quantum Room. I, right. I don't really understand right. what well, we they do this, but... Completely skip the the plot. They get sucked into the quantum realm. I mean, the trailer covers yeah, that. Yeah, it does. The trailer covers most of the movie, honestly. <laughs> and that's not surprising. I didn't feel like the trailer spoils anything. No, it doesn't. There's just not a lot of plot in the movie. Kang and Janet were in the quantum realm together. Uh, he conquers worlds because he's Kang the Conqueror. She finds out. She gets away. They fight. She eventually gets out in Ant-Man 2. He's still down there. He's the conqueror. He's conquered. Yeah. He wants to leave to go conquer. That's all. That's pretty much in the trailer and previous movies. So yeah, it's more of well, what do they do? And it's movies a lot of getting them back together. I'd say two thirds of the movie is them separated and trying to navigate the quantum realm. Yeah, I agree. But it doesn't really feel like that's the thrust of the film is to get them back together. That, here's my journeys. first issue. I don't feel a thrust in this film at all. Um, my my One of my biggest issues was it's shown that Cassie has those little disc things, right, that they can throw. So I'm assuming Scott and uh, Hope also have them. Why don't they use those to get out? We found out in the first movie Scott could do that. He just shoves that right in his little belt. The regulator. The yeah. regulator. I... I Fuck it, whatever. <laughs> the regular, I don't know if maybe they don't have them, but it, well, that works. I just, I, it feels weird that there's that kind of plot hole that we got to find each other and then figure out how to get out. I think that is it, is that they don't leave because they want to be together. Because, I mean, they've shown that they can, but how do you get everyone out? But then, all right, then uh, here's my Chekhov's gun issue, because that's the, the huge thing at the start is Cassie says, well, my machine here, I would have been able to find you and get you out if I had this before. And then, you know, Chekhov's gun, they use that to get out later. That's how they find each other and get out. But it's, like, if that's the case, then couldn't Cassie and Scott got big and then she pulled the other three out? Fair enough, yeah. It's it's just like one of those beats that... But then again, remember, uh, I have the complaint that the ending's too simple. That they were turning on this machine to explore the quantum realm. They wanted to send a signal to kind of map it and have an understanding remotely. Mm-hmm. They turn it on and get sucked in. And then at the end, she's able to flip it back on, know everything, open a portal. And it's just like, wait a minute. None of that was explained. Yeah, so no, that they, is, they that set is it a, up as a satellite and then suddenly it's a doorway. Yeah, that is an issue I have with it. But like I said, to me, this film is geared towards children, so... Mm. It allows me to overlook plot holes like that. Whereas if this was something like Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I'm going to be sitting there like, no, because it's not geared for a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. The film does not feel like it's 
that intelligent. Like it's geared for me to sit there and analyze. It feels like it's for me to sit there with my 12 year old, 10 year old and just enjoy the adventure. I would if it felt like they had an adventure. It felt like, I mean, the quantum realm's pretty fucking cool. It's, it's interesting, but I feel like not a lot happens. It's, Scott and Cassie meet the, the Freedom Fighters. The Freedom Fighters don't like them. Okay, now they're okay with them. Ah, uh, now they're all captured. And then while that's happening, Janet, Hope, and, and fucking Hank, that's his name, mm-hmm. are going specifically through Quantum Realm because Janet knows everything, and uh, they meet Bill Murray's character. I know we had a little talk about that. Fucking loved it. I, I'm indifferent. <laughs> it felt like a Bill Murray role that he just walks in, showed up for a day or two, and then walked out. Well, yeah. I mean, you're also not a Bill Murray fan. That's, no. That's clearly for people like me that love Bill Murray. He's just a nothing actor to me. He's just a guy who shows up and goes, hey, I'm Bill Murray, and then leaves. I mean, it's the same thing as Owen Wilson. I, I don't need Owen Wilson either. Oh, I'm not saying you do, but... He was all right and lucky, <laughs> though. I'll give him that. I don't like a lot of Owen Wilson stuff. He was right. He was actually like, he was like actually a character though. It was weird because I, I mean, kept expecting him to be Owen Wilson, and then he wasn't. I mean, the same could be said for Bill Murray here. He actually does a little acting. Did you feel like he wasn't Bill Murray? Uh, for like half of his scene, half of his like two minute scene. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would you, would you consider that just a cameo? To me, yeah. Because that's, that's not a role. That's him being, hey, I was a freedom fighter, but now I'm not. Yeah. Dun, 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 and then move on. Yeah. Implying that he had sex with Janet while they were down there. And, yeah. And then Hank has to talk about how he had sex with some lady named Linda while he was on the surface. And, <laughs> just weird. And then Hope sitting there just wanted to crawl out of her own skin and die. I mean, that's all of us when our parents are talking about fucking and fucking other people, I assume. Yeah, I, not a conversation I've had before, but I'll gladly avoid it going forward. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll remember that with your daughter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> where do we move on from there? I mean, I don't... Oh, uh, MODOK. Yeah, MODOK is in it. Um, uh, was it mechanical organism designed only for killing? Yeah. The the butt of every joke? He's, I mean, the, every scene he's in is just the MODOK joke. Basically, I mean, he is kind of shown as a threat twice, but it's, it's you never really feel it. No, he's, they, they lead him in as this weapon that'll end all life that he comes in contact with. I mean, the and then Rebels, he's immediately a joke. The Rebels were shown terrified, he was shown to be a badass, and then he pulls his mask up, and you're just like, ooh, that doesn't quite look right. Yeah. And he cracks a joke, and Ant-Man cracks a joke, and it's just like, okay, so the threat's gone. Yeah. And it never really comes back, even when he's trying to kill uh, Hope. Hope? Cassie? Cassie. I don't know why I mix those two up. But yeah, when he's trying to kill Cassie, it, it doesn't work, because nah, it, you know, it's been a joke be fine, yeah. the entire time up to it. Like, but you know, again, he's incompetent, essentially. As I said, it's geared towards 12-year-olds, I feel. So do you really want the 12-year-olds feeling like they're surrogate? character their avatar on screen is going to be murdered by this weird looking head with baby legs i feel like he should be a threat though. like he never actually does anything threatening he's just kind of like he is a threat and and you're just supposed to take it on its word yeah um i don't know it felt i i i'm all for a modok jokes don't get me wrong i don't think modok should be humorous himself yeah i agree like by the end he's like Oh, I have the pleasure of dying as an Avenger. And it's like, yeah. I don't know. I I thought that was actually kind of... Like, uh-huh. if you cut all the humor from him up until that point, mm-hmm. I'm cool with it. Like the, the whole being a dick. I am not a dick. I liked it. I, it still brings a smile to my face. <laughs> Maybe if he was more threatening first, so it felt like the character had changed instead of him okay. being this pathetic loser the whole time. <laughs> Something like, hey, maybe I won't be a pathetic loser. I mean, that's basically what the character has always been in this universe, is a pathetic loser. Yeah. Like I said before, <laughs> I hated his portrayal of being the whiny little bitch in the first movie. Um, um, but We're talking about the humor, I, I want to mention. I found a lot of humor in the many socialism jokes. That was really <laughs> bizarre. Why Why did they touch on socialism so much in a Marvel movie? I mean, Peyton Reed's just kind of tipping his hat there a little bit, I think. 
As pro-socialism? Or? <laughs> okay. Socialist Peyton Reed. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> but um, before we move on, I really want to wrap back to the, the formula aspect because you're saying uh, you didn't really feel a thrust and that, you know, this was what the story was. But to me, this follows the exact same formula as Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever, minus the whole grief thing. I mean... We set up a new hero, which Cassie, we kind of alluded to, is becoming a hero in his Ironheart. Mm-hmm. Um, they face a lot of the same Ironheart was a real story beats. I felt like Ironheart brought Wakanda Forever down. Like, that really did I'm feel like... I'm not saying sad. it was good or negative. I'm saying same story beats, same okay. formula. Like, they, you got both of those. Mm-hmm. You got the... Uh, Man, I can't remember the name of the, because uh, they're not called Atlanteans, the um, Telecon. Okay. You got the Telecon, you got the, the Quantum Realm natives, yeah, I mean, mm. you got Kang, you got, uh, why is my mind going blank? It's too early for this. No more? Yeah. Too early, it's like 1230, <laughs> it's noon. I usually get up at like 11, 1130. Okay. Anyway, uh, we got uh, Namor, I mean, a lot of that to me is similar it's just how it's played i guess the difference to me is uh i know south park adapts his writing style it, their writing style is not and then and then and then it's this happens so because of that this happens it leads into yeah i feel like the big draw of or difference there is ant-man and the lost quantum mania is just and then they get sucked in the quantum and then they get split up, and then this, and then this, and then this. Like, and, it's more and then, where Black Panther Wakanda Forever, to me, felt more like, because T'Challa opened Wakanda up to the world, the world is searching for, uh, not but a vibranium. Yeah. And because they're searching for vibranium, they are now searching the ocean for possible sites, and because of that, they discover the Talakan people. And there's this more, like, domino effect whereas this feels more and then and then and then and i think that's the difference really in direction because marvel has this formula this is the story beats we want to hit you know make sure you cover this and i think i think what we're seeing is the difference in filmmakers tackling that because if you really examine it there are a lot of the same formulaic beats throughout both those movies. So you think it's a difference in director rather than writer? I felt like it's more of a writing issue. Because well, like I've said before, Peyton Reed is a competent director. Didn't Peyton Reed write this as well? Did he? Because if he so. did, it shows. <laughs> like He's Not competent enough to, to film and know what to film, how to film. Right. I don't think he's a visionary creative by any means. We've said that before. Yeah. But he can... Bring something to life, at least. Yeah. As I uh, said before, he's a Ron Howard. Yeah. To a much, much lesser degree, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> like he did the finale of the first season of The Mandalorian, and that has a lot of fun scenes, a lot of intense scenes, emotional scenes. Not a lot of style to it. Right. And what there is, I think, comes more from Jon Favreau being the showrunner of Mandalorian mm-hmm. through its three seasons now. Um he just didn't have a style in the first two Ant-Man movies. Edgar Wright's style showed through fucking uh, the first one because it's his script. If he wrote this one, I, I think that might be one of the worst parts of it to me. Like, that stands out the most. Yeah, I I want to say he did. I'm not 100%, but... Um, yeah, I, I just really wanted to come back to that that uh, formulaic story, story beat mm-hmm. aspect there. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, uh, okay, we were talking about Cassie and how she's becoming a hero. I don't want to completely gloss over that because in the beginning, you know, we get the, the, uh, internal monologue of Scott and that's interrupted because Cassie is in jail because she's, I don't want to say a freedom fighter, but she's, she's rallying against injustice. She's a lot more Robin Hood-esque. Kind right. of, she's what Scott's character was at the well, beginning of the first one. you know, inspired mm-hmm. by, you know, growing up, that's her dad. So, right. standing up to injustice, you know, because 
they're addressing, at least in the MC cinematic you, the fact that, you know, the the snap really fucked up the civilization. World. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the fact that uh, you're getting they live level shit going on where the police are, you know, knocking out and destroying homeless communities, basically, mm-hmm. because they have nowhere else to go and the police don't like the look of it. I mean, real alterity. Yeah. Real uh, fucking dictator, gross shit going on, which mm. I think will lead into Harrison Ford being president. Ugh. I'm sure but, that'll be a big part of it. Yeah, but I, I, I like that that was addressed, and that they kind of tease that she is trying to be a hero, trying to learn, and then we mm. kind of get the birth of that in this film. I'm not saying it's handled well, but it's, it's handled well enough for a child's film. Um, I thought it was fine. If anything, I felt like it was a more disservice to Paul Rudd, Scott Lang character. Like, I I feel like the first two movies have been much more of this, like what Cassie is now, this fighting for what's right, Robin Hood-esque character. But by the start of this one, he's suddenly this egomaniacal douche who's just insufferable to be around. Well, I, I think, you know, he's kind of feeling... To me, the character feels like he, he's out of place. He doesn't know what to do now. And there's no great threat. Right. He's he's known as Ant-Man. And I think when we get into the quantum realm, we meet the, the rebels. You know, Cassie wants to help. She sees the injustice. That's her thing. Mm-hmm. And He just wants to turn a blind eye and get out. Well, because he's concerned about his, his daughter. Right. You know, that, that's his only concern. He doesn't give a fuck about these people. He wants to get her safe. Mm-hmm. And it's her forcing him to be like, no, remember who you are. You know, we're here. We can't just turn a blind eye. Right. So is it handled perfectly? No, but it's there and it's serviceable, I think. <laughs> I don't have anywhere to go with that. <laughs> right, but... Um, uh, I agree, yeah. Yeah. I like her character more than Scott's character. I like Scott more as an entertainment right. piece, like he's funnier, but her character is definitely the better of the characters. And you can see where I've been arguing that she's kind of the avatar for the the focal point for the younger audience. Right. I mean, it's clear just the way she delivers her lines and stuff. It's like, she doesn't feel like I'm assuming she's 16, 17. That's what I would guess, like, late teen, maybe. Right. She doesn't feel like that, but I think that's purposeful because this film is not for, you know, 20, 30-somethings. It's geared towards the younger. It's geared for the people that grew up watching these Marvel films and now have kids. Right. So, I mean, uh, case in point, in the theater beside me was a single mom and her, guessing, 10-year-old son. Okay. And it played great to them. And I think that's the core audience of this. And that's really what sways my view of it, is understanding that. Like, the intent behind it mm-hmm. was not for it to be this masterpiece film like Endgame, Winter Soldier. It's not geared towards that audience. Mm-hmm. It, it's geared towards Peyton Reed's strengths and children. The earliest thing I know from him is he made a Herbie the Love Bug film. Okay, ew. I only know it because it stars Bruce Campbell. Oh, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to counter with it just with family films can also be just that, family films. Like, it doesn't have to focus on just kids. There's lots of movies, I think, do it. Like, Pixar movies, right, for the most part. You have the adult jokes. And... Obviously, like kids focused but it's an entertaining film for everybody like anybody could pick up most pixar movies and relate to it one way or another and i feel like this movie is a weird amalgamation of kids movie and like sometimes adult humor like hope having to listen to her parents talking about having sex with other right. people like that's bizarre it's more like it's the swingers joke first of all it's <laughs> it's just weird that it feels like it's not sure what his tone is supposed to be. Right. It's kind of all over the place. It's messy. I'll agree there, but um, I don't know. I think we pretty much... Well, the ending. Let's talk about the ending. We're in the spoiler. Uh, the ending is <clears throat> that everyone gets out but the Ant-Man. 
and they have he has to fight Kang, mm-hmm. and it's this epic battle, and he's saved because the Wasp decides to come back, and they actually kill Kang. They were we're At assuming point, they've killed this version of Kang. Yeah, it's unclear if he's dead, dead or not because of post credit scene where. The, there's three other iterations of Kang talking, discussing what they're going to do now that they've defeated one of the... They never outright say, he's dead, he's gone. Uh, no, they, uh, they they say, those Kangs say, the Conqueror is dead. Alright, I'll, I'll assume he's dead for now. But at, I still least, think... at least it is believed within the cinematic universe that he is dead. Which is a shame, because he's one of my absolute favorite villains. I think he'll be back. He's King so. the Conqueror. Yeah. That one, you can't throw away that one on a fucking Ant-Man movie. Oh, yeah, because the other iterations kind of look lame compared to yeah. him. I mean, he's just such an amazing villain. Uh-huh. Anyway, sorry. So the movie ends with their fight. Cassie, Chekhov, guns them out of the quantum realm. Scott is left with this internal anxiety of, Did is Kang right actually thing? gone? Uh, is it... Good or bad that Kang is gone. Right. Because Kang's gotten his head now about it. Like, Yeah, Kang said that he was trying to prevent him from coming. You know, like more the, coming. the iterations. Many yeah. and almost infinite iterations of Kang from trying to conquer. Uh, so he's left with this borderline crippling anxiety about yeah. it. Like he stops in the middle of the street in his narration to have this little back and forth in his head. Where it's borderline like a panic attack for him. Yeah, um, even during his daughter's dinner, fake birthday celebration, you know, he has a little moment of an anxiety, like, mm-hmm. shit, did I really do the right thing? Is he dead? I mean, I like that for the character, at least. It kind of just ends, too. Like, you said, it's a very simple ending. Just, just not much going on. Nobody died. Everybody's fine. Modoc died. It's like, okay, nobody... It didn't matter. Um... I kind of wish Hank would have died. I wish somebody would have died. Give me but something to be like. Then again, to. do you think that would have fit the tone? I I think there needed to be something. They can't keep fake killing Hank like in the first one. He got stabbed. He got shot in the shoulder. Was it? Mm-hmm. The second one. The second one didn't even have one. He faked a heart attack to get free. Yeah, That's all it was. Yeah. yeah. It. I don't know. It. It felt like there needed to be consequences for somebody that. Because I think the start I, had uh, Janet really having this almost meltdown about going to the quantum realm because it's so dangerous because it can. And for them to all make it out okay, it kind of shows that there was no consequences. If somebody had died, have something kind of hold those characters back just a little bit to understand the danger they were just in. Let me ask you this. Um, thinking about it, I think Hope would have been the logical one to have mm-hmm. die. But... Had no one died, but Ant-Man and the Wasp be stuck in the quantum realm. That would have been have... much more interesting. Yeah. Kind of. Then there's still the consequences. Okay. Of like, all right, now. I kind of hope they, w- or wish they would have done that. I was ready for it. I yeah. thought, all right, this would be, I thought it was a fun direction to take it. Like, make it like they're stuck there. You have to do a world without Ant-Man for a while. Yeah. Or even... Have some trip there, like have Kang mention. And for the something. future, I mean, it it could have played out much more interesting because then in the MCU proper, you now have Cassie. She's learned her powers. She has a suit. Mm-hmm. She can take over the role. Right. And then at some point in the future, you could have Ant-Man, the Wasp, and now his kingdom of the quantum realm come right. to the rescue, which... Could have been fucking really interesting, you know, and Kang Dynasty or whatever. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all these rebels, these gigantic ants and Ant-Man just come out of the quantum realm. And... Right. It just, the whole movie feels like nothing changed from the start to begin, or like beginning to end. It's just, they're in the same place they were when they left. I think, I think Scott changed. Maybe a little more humbled. Uh, he's definitely, uh-huh. I think that's his character arc. He's definitely humbled. I mean, think about it, because he's being called Spider-Man and giving free shit, and he's just going with it, whatever, he's happy, he's got his book, he's doing, you know, touring, doing book readings, he's mm -hmm. got his his audio book, like, 
it's all about how confident and you know about himself he is and then at the end they're calling him out oh you're the other insect guy and charging him twelve dollars for a coffee and he's got anxiety and like i think that's his character arc is he's now humbled that's okay but it's still not much of a change like oh i'm giving you that i'm just saying it's bare minimum yeah and it's it's just one of the issues i have with the movie still um I, we forgot to talk about the Assault on King's Castle. I know I had mentioned on the last recording about it. Uh, I had the issue that it felt like they did the same thing three times in a row. And I, and that they stormed the castle and then the rebels break free and storm the castle. And then the rest of the rebels storm the castle. And then they show up and storm the castle. Well, that ties back to A, what you said before. But that's that's a writing technique which is called all is law. But how many times are they going to do it? It's too repetitive is my issue. Well, here's the thing. Like, if you think about, like, Indiana Jones when he's fighting the Nazi on the plane, Mm -hmm. there's, like, fucking six all-is-lost moments in that where, you know, uh, oh, he's going to win. Oh, no, the guy's beating his ass. Oh, no, he's he's got some sand. And it's, like, it goes back and forth. Whereas this one, I I think there's really only two because you're, you're saying it's three when all reality, it's they break out of the cells the others are coming, and you're saying it's two beats there. Well, it's really one because they just extend the bridge. It feels like there's the prisoners breaking free storming, right? That's just your initial, so that, right, sure, that doesn't count. Then you have Scott and the Wasp showing up. That's your, like... I kind of took that as one because they're with the Rebels. Or he's actually after the Rebels. Yeah, he's... He's like the, the battering ram taking down the door, essentially. Yeah, because uh, the rebels are fighting, and then you get Kang's force, you know, like, kicking mm-hmm. some ass. And it's like, oh, shit, all is lost. And then giant Ant-Man shows up, and he's knocking down the But then I think and... that after that is when, because Scott makes a comment when he's tearing down that, like, the alive buildings and all these people are flying in to help fight. Like, the freedom fighters that are mm-hmm. still free yeah. have now flown in to help. So that's your second wave after Ant-Man. Yeah, and then suddenly Michael Douglas and his army advance. Well, that's a, a few minutes later. That's a clear because Kang is out there now. He's whooping ass. Mm-hmm. He's knocking everyone down, and then you have your clear all is lost second beat right there. It just and feels then all the ants repetitive because it's not like they're doing something different. It's just oh, the next wave is here now. Yeah, like I, when I think of the all is lost moment, the all time unbeatable one is Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. The Battle of Helm's Deep. Yeah, Truly all is lost. They've stormed. All of the citizens are about to be slaughtered. All of the, the women and children from Rohan. Everybody is doomed. And then at the the thing they've set up throughout the movie, which is when Gandalf shows up on the fifth day, his light will bring power. And it's Gandalf the White rolling in with the writers of Rohan he found finally and, and, and slaughtering him all with the cavalry. And yeah. it's... The greatest all is lost moment there is in film, I believe. I mean, uh, you're giving me chills, but <laughs> but to, it's to go back to my point. Um, just this, it feels uh, repetitive. Well, I think this film was inspired a lot by Star Wars, and it it feels like oh heavily a Star yeah, I guess we Wars. Didn't mention that right? It, that feels like a Star Wars beat right there, though. Like, yeah, but it feels like a Star Wars Rise of Skywalker beat. Like, it feels like the first one where it's like, oh, this cavalry lost. Oh, here comes Luke in this squadron. And it's like, eh. At least they're kind of different in the fact that at least each time they're progressing further. And I feel like there's no progression here. It's just like, we fight. Eh, it's not good enough. All right, next wave. Eh, we fight. Eh, it's not good enough. Okay, now whoever's beating the shit out of Kanks, we can finally came down. Okay, now the ants show up. Like, it's just a little... It feels at, very at least when similar I think to me. Star Wars and I think Ant Man, I think it's like, all right, first wave they couldn't even get to the trench run, and then finally, okay, Luke Neff gets in the trench run, and he's almost there, but he's fucking losing it because Vader's on his ass. All right, now Han Solo comes in to save his ass. Like, it feels like there's progression with each bit, at least. It feels like the same story beats told by a different storyteller. Yeah, better yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not arguing, just saying. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We, do you want to rank it? Is there anything else to really say? No, I've got nothing left. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember what I ranked it. Uh, I think it was a two and a half. Because I didn't think it was as good as the first Ant-Man, which I rated a three. But it was better than the second Ant-Man, I rated a two. So it's two and a half by default. 
Right. Um, to it's me, just uninspired. It's slow, and I found it boring at times. Hmm. Not as much as the second one. I thought the second one was much worse. This at least has cool moments, and it's fun at times too, and humorous. But overall, I'm like meh on it. It's as mid as mid can get. <laughs> I get that. Um, overall, I I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. To me, it is the best Ant Man film, just because of the new environment that. I don't know. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, at the time, I gave it four and a half. I, I think if I was to rate it now, I would give it a four, but I, it's still highly enjoyable, and I still think it's the best Ant-Man film. So, do you want to change your rating, or do you want to stick with the four I'll, and a half? I'll stick with four and a half, because that was my initial rating. But And now, I, I was going to say, we should probably stick with it. Even though I mm-hmm. hard disagree, I think you should keep the four and a half, just because the, the point of this is our initial thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've been able to sit with it a couple days, and I, my excitement upon leaving the theater is kind of diminished, and I'm able to pick it apart. But like I said, I think this is geared towards children, which allows me to overlook a lot. My two biggest complaints about the entire film are that Modoc looks a little off, and the mm-hmm. ending's too simple. But then again, I can't rally against that ending because I think it's a children's film. However... We both agree it would be more interesting and not make children cry if he was just stuck there. Yeah. If he just put his arm around her and looked over his new kingdom. Like, I, I don't know. I think there would have been this interesting despair aspect to it of like, oh, we're trapped here now. Yeah, but if you just kind of pull back of him putting his arm around her, looking out over the, the kingdom and allow it to end there. Right. Where it's kind of like, oh, he's going to rule this. Uh, I don't know if I would go that angle. I think I would go more of them, at least they're there together angle, because he does take in the fact that, like, oh, you came back for me, and they share their I love Mm. yous and everything, which I don't think they had done at all up until this movie. Like, they had a very, it's weird to say, more sexual tension kind of relationship rather than, like, an actual relationship with a relationship. So, I don't know, I thought the idea, like, they're stuck there together would be the stronger draw at that end, like, all right, now it's us surviving this together. Right. But I I, I think had you ended it that way, that would be my interpretation that they would rule it. But who knows? You mm-hmm. can just leave it that way. Then you could have had one of your post credit scenes be Cassie, Hank, and Hope in the real world mm-hmm. freaking the fuck out. Like trying to figure out how Yeah, what to are we going to do? Right. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And then you can have your post-credit scene of the Kangs. I don't think we really need the teaser for Loki season. No, that was more generous than necessary. It, yeah. It's just fans ever see. I mean, it, it ties to Kang still, at least, because it's Kang variant in this old-timey Loki season two, I'm sure. Right. Uh, I'm sure Jonathan Major's Kang iterations will have some kind of significant role in the oh, second season, because by the end of the first season, he's the new ruler of the TVA. I guess he's the old ruler, too. It's a mess, but it's all him. Um, yeah, that one's unnecessary, but that first one is more of a tease towards, I think, Kang Dynasty and Secret War, the next two Avengers films. So right. The three iterations of Kang, who are drawing all the other iterations into an arena that looks very much like some kind of battle world scenario. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they go with it. I mean... Currently, a lot of the rumors are Spider-Man's going to be the the main lead of Kang Dynasty, but... God, I want I his think fourth film to come first. If that's they the case. have to. Because he's, he's not in a place to be a leader of anything. If no. any, he's the most broken that character's been in the Marvel series. Uh, even Iron Boy Jr. would be more fit to lead, because he's had that mentorship at least. Now he's on his own by himself. The poor Peter Parker that can't pay rent, kind of. Yeah. Peter Parker. Yeah, he's not so, an Avengers leader yet. Yeah, we need that triumphant fourth film where he really solidifies himself as a hero. The only thing I've seen about that is that film, the fourth one, will come before Secret Wars. Huh. Which is not necessarily before Kang Dynasty, and I'm a little worried about that. I, I hope Kang Dynasty comes towards the end of all of that. Like, I don't know. Well, Secret we'll War will come after King Dynasty. They were going to come out in the same year, which is wild to make two Avengers films in the same year. But then they delayed. It was uh, mm. early 2025 was going to be King Dynasty, Avengers King Dynasty. And then late 2025, like in November, was going to be Avengers Secret War. They delayed Secret War to the following year. 
Which I think is better. I don't think you should have Avengers yeah, two I, films in the same year. I, I agree towards that, and I, I'm i just slightly concerned, but I have faith, because they haven't really let me down yet with Spider-Man and the I Avengers. Just, I hope he's not a lead of King Dynasty, if he's going to not have his fourth film until after, because then, is the fourth film going to be a prequel to it? Which I'm That'd so sick weird. of the prequels. I gotta quit doing shit before I have it. Like, that's Black Widow's biggest problem was it was set. It came out years after it should have. That movie oh, should have yeah. been before Infinity War released. Mm-hmm. Like, trailer, even. That yeah. was definitely a post Civil War movie that never got made in time. But, uh, yeah, thank you all for joining us. Make sure and smash all those fucking buttons. Like, mm-hmm. share. Subscribe, report, all of it. Uh, our next episodes will be actually a mini-sode. It's two. It's uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once and The Fablemans. And then after that should be... I guess we're going more of a Oscar movie streak because following that will be our All Quiet on the Western Front. And then I believe Scream is directly after that. That's early March, right? I believe, yeah. Okay, then yeah. Yeah, and then we're doing Renfield sometime with a, a mini-sode leading up to that. Of with Dracula and Nosferatu, right? Important like, Dracula films, where I'm going to try and cover important? as many as I can. But uh, I I still need to finish reading Dracula, so I think I'll probably only knock, knock out Nosferatu and Bram Stoker's Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. I mean, those are the two most noteworthy, um, but I, I will try and bring my... Or knowledge to the okay. table. Just keep in mind, no matter how small, all heroes can make a difference. Never give up on the small guy. I'm not listening to that anymore. Fuck you. You've arrived at your destination.